Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I created my first business, Honeycombers, when I was at the tender age of 28. And that business is a lifestyle guide to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and now employs over 30 people across four countries. Last year, I founded a new business called Launchpad, which is a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. Launchpad has members across six countries and runs around about 30 events every month. We run masterclasses, coaching and connection calls, as well as peer group sessions. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit line together to build better businesses. What does it really take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to find out. Before I get into it, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Okay, let's get into it. Have you ever had a sandal or a flip-flop blowout when you were on holidays? Well, that's exactly what happened to Carl Parsons, who is the founder of Indosol. And it was that very thing, the breaking of his sandal while he was in Seminyak, Bali, that inspired him to create his whole company. I just loved this interview with Carl, who talks about how he got the idea to produce flip-flops or sandals out of used tires and how he reiterated the business and the product from actually just using raw tire material to now pulping down that material and kind of melting it down to make shoes out of molds. This is an incredible story about a guy who has a really big vision and really doesn't let any obstacles deter him from reaching his vision. He talks a lot about building his brand through partnerships and using influential independent stores to really build his brand. But the thing I loved most about this chat today was how he doesn't really consider himself in the footwear business, but in the solutions business. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. Let's get into it. Hey, Kyle. So great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. I am honored to be here. Awesome. I love your story and I really want to just start from the beginning. And it starts, as I understand, with your sandals breaking on vacation. Do you want to just share that story with our listeners? I grew up with a curiosity of Bali as a faraway tropical place and just, you know, always dreamed of being able to visit one day. And I finally got my shot in 2004. It was, it was a family trip to Bali and uh, I was captivated by everything that was going on there. It was so beautiful. Obviously, the beaches, the culture, the food is amazing. I've always been into kind of manufacturing and brands and products. So I, I saw a lot of that going on. So I was intrigued. But yeah, lo, you know, lo and behold, I was walking down the sidewalk in Seminyak one day. And the sandals that I was wearing at the time, they blew out. I don't know if you know what a blowout is, but when the thong just pulls out, you're pretty much your flip-flops are rendered useless and you got to figure it out. So I was barefoot on the sidewalk 
It's a little dirty. So I needed to find a solution. I needed a new pair of sandals. Uh, so I started shopping in boutiques in Seminyak and I really wanted uh, kind of like a unique pair of sandals. I wanted something that really called to me that was different than all the big brands out there. I wanted something that just was very Bali, right? So um, I found a pair of uh, sandals that had a natural weave on top. And then on the sole, they had a tire. It was a um, a raw cut tire that came from a motorbike. And when I asked the woman working in the shop, she told me that it was handmade from a motorbike tire. So I looked out the window and then, you know, sure enough, there's thousands of motorbikes going whizzing by. So I kind of put two and two together. I said, wow, that's, you know, that's so, you know, resourceful of the Balinese people to use this, you know, tire and make it into a pair of sandals. You know, so I bought them. I started wearing them. They weren't extremely comfortable. <laughs> they were honestly like this thick, you know, they were thick and um, not flexible, but they were cool looking. So I wore them and brought them back to California at the end of my trip. And I started doing some research about tire pollution. I found that tire pollution is actually a big problem that not a lot of people know is a, is a problem. I think more now than back in uh, the early 2000s when I found the sandals. But each year, billions of tires are either in the landfills or clogging the rivers or end up you know, polluting the land. And there's a lot of problems that waste tires create. I was intrigued by, you know, this pair of sandals that just kind of ended up being the catalyst for a future brand. But for selfish reasons, I just really wanted to go back to Bali too. So the, the sandals were also a vehicle and an excuse to like get back to Bali and and go tinker around and making sandals. I can totally relate to that. And I have a business in Bali for the very same reasons. I fell in love with Bali and really wanted a really good excuse to have to travel there often. But my business isn't quite as innovative as yours. It's just a media business. I was just chatting with another guest last week about how actually using waste is a massive opportunity and tyres are one product that does, as you say, live forever. But I could imagine there's a lot of challenges about getting a tyre from being a thick, hard piece of rubber to something that people can actually wear that's comfortable on their feet. So kudos to you. That would be quite a big challenge. I'd love to hear how did you do that? Well, yeah. Well, that was the hardest part, right? So as I did some research about tire pollution and why tires are a problem, what I also found is that wasn't really the Balinese that had this idea was, you know, they were one of many, but anywhere in the world where there's tires, which is pretty much everywhere. And there's also manufacturing, you can make tire sold sandals. So the Mexicans had the Huarachis, um, you know, in Africa, you know, kind of like inspired by the book Born to Run. There was people, you know, running marathons with tires strapped to their feet. So the idea had kind of been around since tires had been around, but it was just always done, you know, very simply with just kind of some string and attaching the tire to the sole of the foot. Our idea was, how are we going to make this fashionable? How are we going to make, you know, this into a fashion and functional pair of footwear that people actually want to wear? And how do we make it fun, right? So um, that was the idea. And it's way easier said than done because none of us had a background in manufacturing or developing footwear. So we had, it was totally trial and error. 
And share with me a little bit of detail about the trial and error. Like, can you share an example of a learning that you had through the process? Yeah, well, tires are naturally are in this shape, right? So we were working with motorbike tires and motorbike tires were great because they didn't have any metal in them. They didn't have any steel or they didn't have like steel belt on it. So you can take a motorbike tire with a knife and you can cut right through it. So our crew is literally cutting a motorbike tire into four pieces and you can make two pair out of out of one tire. So that was great. But what would happen at the beginning was that tires were so strong and they were so determined to go back to their original shape that the early edition product was either folding in half or the tires would, you know, the glue wasn't strong enough to hold it on and it would, the tire would disconnect and then it would be back into its, you know, into its shape. So there was so many challenges at the beginning and on how to make this product that it was pretty frustrating really but just I guess passion and persistence and just going through iteration after iteration that we finally finally figured it out but with any handmade product even after you figure it out scaling up and producing consistently and at scale is obviously going to be hard, right? So handmade products have so much charm, but it's going to be inconsistent. And in Indonesia, you can't always find the same materials twice. So, Right. And where are you at on that journey now? Are your products still handmade or...? Yeah, well, at the beginning we had, um, it was really fun for the first few years. We scaled up and we started getting some demand and we started getting orders and people wanted the sandals and they liked them. They still weren't very comfortable. They, they weren't like as good quality as the big brands that had out there. But, you know, it was kind of the early days of, you know, environmental or eco fashion. Like people were like into it, like, okay, we got to get on this eco fashion train. We, you know, we could sell them, but we always believed that the product could be improved, you know, more and more. We had 40 artisans hand making sandals and, and on the sewing machines and cutting tires and cranking them out. But we really can only make 15 to 20,000 pair a year. That was at full capacity. And the the lag time in between placing an order to actually get out of the factory to get on the boat and deliver to a customer was so long. You know, it was like take us four months to turn around and order to in order to delivery. So we weren't we weren't able to turn it around quick enough. Although it's still, you know, again, had a lot of charm and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but it was almost more like we were like this kind of like backyard boutique brand for years. But then when we got to 2000. 16. So that was 2010 to 16. We went six years like that, hand making the sandals. We got to 2016, we kind of hit the bottleneck and we're like, okay, well, we're not making money. And aside from being broke, the quality and the consistency just like isn't quite there that we, we're not sure we can really sell to a major retailer. So we had to go back to the drawing board. We realized that we either had to like give up on the business or we had to change, we had to, had to adapt. So we went out looking for, um, you know, for a new way to just kind of reimagined the way in working with tires. So we, we teamed up with an engineer and we found like a really qualified, good manufacturing facility in Java. And then we started pulverizing the tires down to a powder and then making a mold. And, you know, so that process is like, it's not quite as pure because just cutting the tire and then slapping it on is, is so cool. It's so much charm and you could read the the brand of tire in the sole. But um, 
efficiently, it was better for us to start grinding down the tires and making a mold and then recycling it. You know, so now we have these recycled tire sole sandals, which are are consistently made and really nice quality, way more comfortable and consistently done. And when our factories and when they're in full production, they make like 10,000 pair a day. So at that point, we spent a full year redeveloping everything in 2017 and we relaunched the brand and the product in 2018. And so it hasn't really changed since. So it's almost like you had a very, I suppose, two parts to your journey, the handmade stitched kind of tire and then a totally different evolution of product once you started, I suppose, did you say melting down or crushing down the tire? Yeah, it basically goes through a tire grinder. So it comes out into a powder, into a granule, and then uh, we mix it with some other recycled contents, um, a little bit of synthetic, and then it comes and it gets molded. That's kind of the secret formula. It's like, you know, I can't really tell you exactly how we do it. (laughs) Don't share with me the secret formula. And at what point in this journey did you get funding? I know you, you raised two million, right? Yeah, we've raised a couple million over the years, which, you know, is bootstrapping it to the hilt, really. Um, That's just kind of scraping by and and really just based off our organic growth. We raised a little more capital this past year with a great group in Bali called the Bali Investment Club and their group of angels. And based in Bali, it's kind of a collection of interesting people from around the world that have moved to Bali and um, and they've you know helped us out and believed in the brand and so coming out of the pandemic we you know we had an opportunity to to relaunch again and you know now we have three flagship stores in Bali so we have our headquarters in Changu Bali and we have a shop in Ubud and then we have one in Uluwatu now as well yeah cool good timing because Bali's going nuts it's like a different country isn't it like post pandemic. Yeah, it's going off. Like, you know, you mentioned before, it was when it reopened in April, it it was like going from zero to 100. It went from sleepy town to just craziness, just almost overnight. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's unrecognizable. I was back there last year and I was just like, wow, it's really changed a lot. And there seems to be a lot more tourists from all over the world. So, I mean, that's a really nice kind of rebound, but also fairly crazy. I'd love to kind of just understand how you survived through the pandemic with a business that sounds like it has had some really big evolutions. Like you said, bootstrapped to the hilt. So how did it look like through that dark couple of years? (laughs) Yeah, well, great, great question. Brands like Indosol and like others these days, you know, like we're bleeding with passion and we're, you know, we like to think of ourselves as environmentalists first and business people second, you know, for better and for worse and doing things what would in a way which we would consider being the right way isn't always the best way. It may not always be streamlined, quick, profitable right off the bat, might not have the highest margins. We're used to using materials which are pre-qualified and are natural and are good. You know, um, the B Corp rating is something we're 
are really into. Um, you know, like I said, like we, we've taken a really challenging road, a really hard road, whereas a lot of other brands would probably raise like $5 million and then they'd go to the factory. We did it kind of the other way around. We're just kind of patched it together for years and years. So I won't lie to you, when the pandemic hit, we were already in, on shaky grounds. I mean, we had had some, we got some, some major retailers that we had and then you know, we are just about to deliver them for the spring season. Like in the USA, we have one big one called REI, which is, um, you know, a big outdoor retailer. And, you know, everybody kind of like shut down overnight. So, you know, when the phone rang and we were told not to ship the orders, that was tough because we had, you know, dependable revenue. But, you know, what we always say about the pandemic times is that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because, we actually were able to take that time and huddle up and just take a deep breath, realizing that everybody in the world was in the same situation and we just, we weren't alone. But it was hard because, like I said, our cash flow just was turned off overnight. But we were able to shift and and just move some things around and then uh, put all of our attention onto the web and telling stories. And in Bali, we worked with this group that, you know, got food to people who need it in northern Bali area where there were literally people starving to death. I was trapped in California and we were, because Bali was shut and there wasn't any business, we were hustling here on the web and sending our money over, sending our money over to take care of our team, keeping everybody employed, and also trying to donate to this program of, of getting people food. Um, but our team in Bali, my business partner Kai and uh, the rest of them were like literally in there like cooking food and trying to help people during that time. So it was gratifying at the same time while being dark and scary. Yeah, and I feel like anyone who had a business in Bali through those years, the pandemic just was on another level because of how there was such little government support compared to other countries, right? So it it feels to me like a really bad dream. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. So now I'm interested with the business. So what percentage of your revenue is online internationally and what percentage is from your flagship stores in Bali? Yeah, so our strongest markets, you know, had been North America, like the crossover between Bali and California was strong and it resonated and a lot of people are into environmental causes and in the USA. So we called it the Bali-Fornia crossover at the beginning where we're able to have our two main marketing efforts based in in Bali and in Cali. So really... Yeah, you know, Bali with the tourism and then California with its strength in, in retail and surf culture and yoga and outdoor had been our, our strong points. But once we got a good crew in Australia, that started to jump off pretty quickly. And then we got into some major retailers like the Iconic, General Pants, and then just a lot of other boutiques. And then we just sort of slowly moved outward 
to Europe. We have a distributor in Singapore, Taiwan, Japan, just opened up in South Africa and the Middle East as well. So we have really good people that really believe in the mission and like the product that have taken, taken on the brand and that we're working with. So it's going pretty well, but as far as a breakdown, it's, you know, it's about like 50% the U.S., 30% Indonesia, and then the 20% is kind of made up in various other areas of, of the world. The web was really strong for us in 2020, 2021, but since wholesales come back, we're we're all about supporting, you know, kind of the smaller shops and getting back in the mom and pop shops and independent retailers. Like, you know, we call them influential independents. So over in Bali, our retail partners there are called Onboard and they have four shops in, in Bali and they're doing a really strong, a strong business. Uh, we work with Yoga Barn and lots of other surf shops and, you know, Lombok or Nihuatu and a few in Java as well. And then over on the California side, you can find us on madewell.com, which is a J. Crew owned retailer. We're also working with the Urban Outfitters and Free People. Yeah, wow. You got some pretty big names there. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, we're not big volume, but we're chipping away. We have a following that of people that like our sandals and they like the story. And if you're you're an eco-conscious consumer, a typical habit of, of an eco-conscious consumer is to find the brands that you really like, fits you well, and you know are going to be durable and you're going to stick with them. So really amazing range of brands. One thing that you said there that really stands out to me is influential independence, because I presume like just being in the right shop and getting exposure to the right people is a large part of the marketing strategy. Is that how you see it? Yeah, the, yeah, definitely. Over over the years, we've had retailers that have stuck with us. We have retailers that we've been in with for five, seven years that are still ordering year after year. Uh, each year, we try to do a collaboration with a different brand that shares the same vision or you know an eye towards sustainability. So. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but Industry of All Nations is a, it's a brand that uh, they work with 16 different countries and artisan groups, and they're doing different series of, of products. So they're, they're a close partner that we collab with every year. We did a collaboration with a, a surf brand called Visla uh, last year, and then this year it'll be one called Catch Surf, which is based in California. And then what I'll get to later is that, you know, we have some Indonesian collaboration partners too. So when you're a small brand, it's just the power is in partnerships, the partnerships that you can create. So we also believe that it's actually is more sustainable or it's more, you know, healthy economically to partner up with people that are doing things as well rather than to compete with them, right? It's like you don't need to rebuild all these resources that already exist, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a very valid point. And I, you know, I think a lot of small business owners listen to this podcast. And I think what you're saying there about the power of partnerships for small brands is immeasurable because it's a multiply effect too, right? It's just crossing each other's audiences and making something worth some 
you know, attention with partnering up together. So I love that. I wanted to ask you about, you have done a TEDx talk about redesigning our consumer habits. And you talk a bit about closing the loop and creating a cradle to cradle approach. Can you share how these principles have guided you with Indosol? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the TEDx was a wonderful experience. It was a lot of work. It was back in 2016. So I feel that what we had to say at that time was, is of course still relevant, but a lot of what the vision was then, you know, seven, eight, eight years ago is actually happening now. And it's happening in a multitude of of ways. I'll start with B Corp, you know, B B Corp as a symbol or as a sort of, it's as a certification is so, so important to Indosol, but I believe the industry as well, where the bar needs to be raised. Greenwashing is a real thing. And there's all these big companies that just want to jump on board and they just want to throw the recycle sign out there like it's a dollar bill and just get in the game, right? B Corp really kind of tests, you know, each one of us as as companies to make sure we are doing what we say we're doing. And so I I really attribute, you know, a lot of, you know, Indosol's validity to, to B Corp, which we've now recertified three times. So when you talk about redesigning our consumer habits, certifications are a big part of it. And to be a truly eco-conscious consumer, you're looking for these types of certifications or it's almost like a checklist, right? So you're going in, you're like, okay, this company is, you know, maybe they're organic or maybe they're plant-based or whatever the case may be, no pesticides. But if you see the B Corp sign, you know, they're good. You know, they're worth it. Same as fair trade. So we wear the B Corp like our badge. Uh, Since then, we've also joined on with 1% for the planet. And we really like what they have to offer, too, from a give back and social mission standpoint. But like I mentioned, there's there's a lot of options on the marketplace. You know, clearly we chose a category which is quite saturated. There's a lot of sandal brands out there and we don't have nearly the marketing dollars that these big ones have. So what we promote is a truly authentic story and again, doing what we say we're doing. So transparency in the process. Yeah, we like to show how we pulverize the tires. We like to talk about it. We like to talk about the materials we use and to collaborate with those that are working hard to do things in the right way too. Uh, So there has to be a screening process along that when it comes to the materials we use as a brand, but also as a consumer, what you put on your body or what you consume, it may not always be the cheapest route. You have to spend a little bit more money to wear good stuff or to shop at a more organic market. Mm. I'm also curious about your consistent investment in R&D. And I, can you talk a little bit about, you recently launched Lost Souls, which pulverizes defected sneaker soles into a powder and then produces a mold. So how does this research play into, you know, your overall mission? Yeah. So by starting with the tires, they're such a strong material and we had a, a great run with having that kind of build the brand through that story. But what we realized uh, as time went on is there's all this great material out there that needs saving. So it's like we got the tip on somebody that was 
taking uh, flip-flops out of the rivers and then cleaning them and then grinding them up and you can make that into yoga mats or you can make that into foam which goes on the floor underneath the carpet. There's always amazing things you can do with you know recycled or upcycled materials. So we got the line on the sneaker parts which are defective coming out of major factories in Indonesia just in the kind of the zone where we're producing, there's factories that are making um, like over a million pair of sneakers a month in some of these factories. So if you're making over a million pair of sneakers a month, that means you're going to have hundreds of thousands of defective sneaker parts, which don't make the cut because there's going to be blemishes. So all of those blems that are being thrown away were otherwise destined for the landfill, but the same supplier that we work with that pulverizes the tires. They were also getting the sneaker parts as kind of a spillover from these big manufacturers. So we started pulverizing down the sneaker parts and it comes out to a really nice, fine white powder. And then what's exciting is we can add color in there. So if you take a natural dye, you can match any Pantone color and you can put some dye into it. So now we have colored soles, whereas before we were restricted by only black soles from the tire. Yeah, wow. So it sounds like it's almost fairly unlimited in terms of there's waste everywhere, right? So where do you see Indosol in 10 years' time? Yeah, in addition to a sandal brand, we think of ourselves primarily as a solutions company. So our job is to sell sandals, but it's, you know, it's even more so on a larger scale to help create a mindset or contribute towards a consumer's mindset of shopping more consciously or you know, beyond fashion and in all the choices they make in and their consumer good purchases. So the sandal is a sexy product that we founded the idea on, but now it's our mission to carry it on into other products and other solutions. So there's so many things that we can make with the technology that we've developed in using waste tire and now sneaker parts as well. So there's so many things that can be made that don't need to be made out of virgin materials. Like take a trash can, for example. It's like, what's the function of a trash can? All it does is hold trash. So we're open to custom creating products for others, but we're also doing it on our own. So, you know, like right now, like coasters for restaurants or for nonprofits as a promotional thing. Like right now we're making bar mats for a bar and restaurant that are all made out of recycled tires or recycled sneaker parts. And then that's custom branded. So just kind of dipping into the consumer goods space at a commercial level is the most ideal. You know, rather than, you know, making all this stuff out of plastic or or new rubber, we'll work with you to custom develop something. Yeah, awesome. And and it's so unlimited, right? Yeah, there's thousands and thousands of cool products that can be made. Yeah, cool. Carl, I always like to finish off my interview with a few rapid fire questions. I'm wondering, do you have any business advice or a business mantra that you live by? I guess my personal mantra when it comes to like what we do is just always be watching, like always be looking, have the blinders off because the materials around you or the things around you can always be reused into something else, right? That everything, the solution may be in front of you in some way, shape or form. I can see you're a very big thinker, like that you're unlimited with the possibilities of, of what's out there which is obvious with what you've created. 
I presume also that must be also challenging to balance out when you're running a company and you're running, you know, how big's the team? How many, how many staff do you have? Yeah, we have a big vision. We always have logistically some things, as I mentioned before, easier said than done. It's just, it's taken us a long time to figure out the processes and put it all together. Right now, Indosol is 17 people, including our shop staff. And we're growing. Yeah, we're, we're looking to make more hires this year and keep journeying on towards, as I mentioned, more more solutions, more consumer goods. Yeah, nice. If there was another industry that you could disrupt, what would it be and why would it be? Yeah, I would say restaurant and hotel and taking this technology that we've created that started as a sandal sole and then be able to make it into items that are don't need to be made out of virgin materials and going after, you know, landscape, resort, hotel, construction, automotive industry, and being able to partner up with ideally getting to the point where it's a giant in the space, like, you know, like a high power company in conjunction, maybe with a tire company and being able to do something really radical and and impactful. I love that. And I think that's a really exciting call out to a massive hotel chain who might be listening or a tire company that might be listening that Carl's ready for you. He can pull both of you together to create a really great solution product. We had the guys from Potato Head on this podcast recently and they were sharing that a tourist in Bali creates three kilos of waste every day. So I definitely think that the hotel industry has a lot of waste it can kind of counter with some innovative product solutions. Yeah, it's frightening, right? Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. It's go, it comes full circle. So that waste that somebody might be throwing in, in Bali, there's people cleaning up out of the streams and putting it into some new product that might just come right around. And Potato Head is a great example of they've jumped on board and done some really cool things as well, you know, in their restaurants. Yeah, very cool. Interesting that there are some real innovators in Bali. And I think Bali does have this energy that attracts the creatives and the big thinkers. I was wondering, do you have a favorite business book or business podcast that you listen to? Yeah. Well, I really like how I built this on NPR with Guy Raz. That's rather commercial podcast, but it's just so good. You know, as entrepreneurs, we always like to kind of live vicariously through each other, you know, with the good, bad and the ugly. So you, you realize that this is just what we go through and the highs and the lows are just, it's par for the course. It's just, it's how it goes. Like, it's tough, man. It's like, you know, you, you, you have to really just dig deep and go for it. So I, I really get off on listening to other entrepreneurs' stories and understanding how they figured it out and how they were able to to put it all together and to keep on going. And pretty much all of them seem to learn through failure. And that's just the way it goes. Ain't that the truth? And I think, um, yeah, I can totally relate to that. I think you also, as an entrepreneur, need to know that you're not the only crazy one in the world. And my last question to you is at, Launchpad, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. I'm sure you know a stack of entrepreneurs that are creating good businesses, but if you had to recommend someone to come on this podcast, who would it be? 
Yeah, I, I would recommend the crew over at Sunai Watch over in Bali. And if you're not familiar with them, they're doing some incredible work. And just in, they've only been in business for three, four years, and now they employ hundreds of of Indonesians, and they're they're literally going into the rivers and cleaning the trash out and unblocking these rivers and preventing all this trash from ending up in the ocean and ending up in the wrong place. And as a next level to that, in the same mentality of what Indosol does, now they're able to process it and make it into, you know, real life things. They're able to take plastic bags and make them into bricks where you can build a building out of it. So I would recommend getting in touch with Gary and Sam over at Sunai Watch. And if I could throw one more in there, this is um, one of our new partners for a collaboration called Pable. And Pable is um, uh, this crew out of, in Indonesia, and, they, and they're uh, recycling textiles. So they're taking somebody's old T-shirt and breaking it down and then rebuilding it into thread. So we have a new collection with them. It's a Pable and Indosol collection where we call it revolutionizing footwear, and it's really special stuff. Wow, cool. You're the second person to recommend Sungai Watch. So we will hound them down and get them on the podcast. But thank you. They're both great recommendations. I haven't told you this, but my company, every month there is a Most Valuable Player Award and they get a pair of Indosol shoes. So all right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Our team are all decked out in Indosols and I, I think it's a really lovely way to give them something that has more meaning than a voucher or, you know. So we, we've we gotten to know Indosol very well. Oh, that makes me so happy. Thank you so much for doing that. What a great idea. No, thank you. And Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. I think what you're doing is really inspiring and, yeah, I really appreciate your time. So thank you. Likewise. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Big fan of what you do as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Three things I learned from this interview with Carl. First one is I think it's a really lovely or ambitious approach he's got to thinking about our role as founders and CEOs is really to re-educate consumers and really use certifications and guiding principles like B Corp to help them become better consumers, more thoughtful consumers. The other thing I loved, he talked a lot about how he used really strategic partnerships as a way to build his brand, which is very, very valuable if you are bootstrapped or not funded. And then the third thing, which I really love, is the fact that his vision for his business is so much more than producing shoes or sandals. He really sees his vision to be a solutions company that makes things out of waste. So I just love all of that so much. I hope that this chat today inspires you to create your own good business. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth so I could go deep with entrepreneurs that truly inspire me. Of course, I also wanted a wider listenership to think about having impact and our wonderful community at Launchpad where we're all aspiring to create better businesses together. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to leave a review or perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend. That's how podcast episodes get discovered. And I would love more entrepreneurs to think more deeply about their business and about creating a heart-led business with a bigger impact than just profit. And I'm sure you would too. 
So go ahead and post something on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and spread the word. I will be forever grateful. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business.